The Bible tells us that Jesus never sinned, but he sure did some things that shock us, like calling Peter Satan or cursing a fig tree for not bearing fruit or turning 150 gallons of water into wine for a wedding party. Last week we learned that the, that the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. But there are many other things that are in all four Gospels as well, including the day that Jesus busted up the church. Now, actually, it was the temple, not a church. A church is a specifically Christian place to worship. Actually, it isn't even a place. The church building is a place, but the church itself is us people, people who follow Jesus. Ephesians 2.20 says, God's family is like a house, and you are a part of the building. Today, God's house, the church, is built out of people, not out of blocks of wood or brick or stone. But remember, when Jesus busted up things, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, the church has not yet been created, and Jesus and the Jewish disciples worship at the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And this is what they knew as God's house. We may say the church is God's house today, but they knew God's house as the temple in Jerusalem. So why did Jesus go busting it up? Well, as far as we know, he didn't break anything, though it certainly could be possible because he's flipping tables, he's making whips of cords, he's pouring out money, creating a stampede of sheep and oxen and and doves. I don't know, can you have a stampede of doves? I don't know. Anyway, he's creating pure chaos. Here's how John describes it in the second chapter. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers at their business. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all with the sheep and the oxen out of the temple, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. You shall not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for thy house will consume me. This is shocking. It's not what we expect expect from Jesus, is it? I mean, we expect him always to be chill, unflappable, calm and gently dealing with every situation. But here, here he's going nuts in the temple. And it's really confusing because the animals and the money changers were there Because the Bible commands it. It's Passover time as we read. And Passover was one of the three times a year that that the Jews were supposed to go to the temple and offer their sacrifices there. And in order to offer a sacrifice, you need to have an animal or you need to have some money to give. And both of them had to be pure, worthy offerings. You couldn't just take any old scruffy animal. And the money that most of them had was Roman money. And Roman money had the faces of of pagan gods or Roman emperors who thought they were God. And so you couldn't give that. You had to exchange it for some Jewish money that wouldn't have those symbols on them. Just like uh, if you're going 
to Europe. You might exchange your dollars for euros. They need to exchange it so they could make their offering in the temple. That's what they were supposed to do. So if God commanded them to do this, why in the world does Jesus go ape? Well, John says that Jesus is so upset because the people have made the temple into a house of trade or into a marketplace. But like we just said, the people needed the animals and the money, so why is Jesus, Jesus upset about this trading? I think it's because just like people today do sometimes, they looked at their worship and their sacrificing as kind of a trade with God. God, I'll give you this animal, or I'll give you this money, and in return, you bless my life. Or, God, you give me forgiveness. I'll give you this, you forgive me. Or, God, I have a favor of ask, to ask of you, so I'll give you this, you give me what I want. I've given, now you owe me. It's kind of a trade. Kind of a, I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of deal. And Jesus, Jesus is not so cool with that. Because a relationship with God isn't just a business deal. So Jesus in John's gospel says, don't make my father's house into a house of trade, a marketplace, a business deal. This is not a business deal when we come to worship God. In the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find another reason that Jesus went off. Luke says this. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out all those who were selling. It is written in the Bible, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Were the money changers and the sellers ripping people off? Overcharging them? The temple treasury had a lot of money. Were they, were they passing out loans so people could make bigger and better offerings and sacrifices and then leaving them with a mountain of debt? We don't know the details of, of all that they did that was wrong, that upset Jesus. But let's not worry so much about what, what not to do. Let's look at what to do. What is the purpose of the temple according to Jesus? It was God's house. In addition to being a place to give to God, it's a place to connect with God, to talk with God, to sing to God, to be with God. And there's a word for this kind of connecting with God, being with God, singing to God, talking with God, and that word is prayer. Jesus says the temple God's house is a house of prayer for all people. And note when he says this, he's actually quoting scripture. It's Isaiah 56, 7. Often when Jesus says something that sounds a little, a little different or unusual, it's because he's quoting scripture. Or he's fulfilling scripture. Like when it says, zeal for thy, thy house will consume me. Well, that Psalm 69, verse 9, Jesus fulfills that as he goes crazy in the temple. And the disciples remembered that. They remembered what the scripture had said and what Jesus did. And so the temple is to be a house of prayer. 
Okay, fine. But we don't have a temple anymore. That temple was destroyed almost 2,000 years ago. What we have today are church buildings. And those are different. We don't have any animal sellers here or money changers here. Uh, We will accept any currency that you give. So, So what's the purpose of the church building? What's the purpose of a church building? What's to house the church? It's a place for the church to gather. And remember, we are the church. So what is our purpose? Why has God brought us together? What is the purpose of the church? Well, we too are to be a house of God, as Ephesians says. And just like the temple in Jesus' day, our purpose is not to make trades with God. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more than God already does. And God loves you so much that he gave his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sin and give us everlasting life. And that's already been done. The debt is paid. The promise is waiting for you. So you don't have to do anything more than receive it. We call it grace. It's all a gift. And you don't make a deal for a gift, or it's not a gift. In a Dear Amy column this week, a woman wrote in, complaining about her in-laws and their Christmas gifts. Every year I spend time carefully curating a list of Christmas wishes for me, my husband, and our children. When it's time for presents, we do not receive a single thing from my list. My children receive toys they don't need and clothes I will not let them wear. And she goes on for three more paragraphs complaining about her in-laws not giving her all the gifts that she has carefully curated on her gift list. But you know, that kind of list is not a list. It's an Amazon order. And God, well, you know, God's not Amazon. God gives, and it's just a gift, a gift for us. You can't buy God's love. You can't make some kind of trade for it. Or it wouldn't be grace. It wouldn't be the gift that it is. So our purpose as a church is not to strike deals with God. We are not a house of trade. And God is not Amazon. We're also not a den of robbers, as Jesus complains about. Being part of the church is not to rob you of your time on a Sunday morning. Being church is not to to rob you of your money that you give in the offering or to make you suffer for the sake of Jesus. Any of you grew up in in a church that was a a no pain, no gain kind of church? I've heard people say to me, it doesn't really count as church unless you're suffering. That's no fun, you say. Well, it's not supposed to be fun. This is church, and you just sit there and shut up and take it. Yeah. I was reading a history of colonial times in New England, and uh, yeah, I'm a little odd. And this article said that, that 
The church services at that time would last for hours and hours on end. And, you know, when the service lasts that long, you get a little sleepy. And people were nodding off. So they had a special kind of usher. Doug, don't volunteer to do this. The ushers were called the tithing men. And the role of the tithing men was to carry a long, sni- long stick with a brass knob at the end and a, and a piece of fur at the other end. And if a woman fell asleep during the church service, she would be tickled with the fur. But if a man fell asleep, he would be smacked over the head with that brass knob or poked in the side with the pointy end of the stick. I think they kind of missed the point. We don't go to church to be smacked over the head. We don't go to church to be robbed of robbed of our health by being stabbed. So what is the purpose of the church? Well, let's go back to the very beginning. Because I think we see some of the reasons the church exists in the very first description of the church way back in the second chapter of Acts. Just the very days that the church begins, we hear about what they're doing. And I think it applies even today. So the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Do you ever notice that I bring the same book every time we gather here on Sunday mornings? Oh, I might also bring cans of sardines or... A Boundary Waters pack or a picture of my uncle. But, but every day I bring the same book, the Bible. Because this church devotes itself to the apostles' teachings. And where do we find that? We find it in the Bible. Every day we meet, we learn from God's word. Secondly, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Fellowship is one of those weird churchy words. I mean, where else would you find a fellowship hall like we have on the other end of the building? But fellowship simply means that it's a group of people who share a common purpose and friendship. Koinonia is the Greek word in the Bible. It means to hold something in common. And what we hold in common is our life in Christ. This means that the church is about relationships. Jesus wants to be wants us to be in relationship with other Christians for encouragement and support. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day of his return approaching. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Number three is the church breaks bread together. That's just a fancy way of saying we eat together. And boy, do we like to get together and eat, don't we? We talked about that last week. Whether it be Wednesday meals or, or Thanksgiving dinner, and especially communion, we love to break bread together. That too is part of the life of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So number four, the church is a house of prayer. And I don't mean just the building. Remember, the church is us. We are praying people. We prayed the Lord's Prayer already. We had a pastoral prayer. And we have a prayer chain on the email. And we have a prayer team that meets here every week. And each of us is praying out there day after day after day. We are praying people because the church is a house of prayer. You know, not a week goes by without somebody emailing me or calling me, thanking me for the prayers of this church or asking for the prayers of this church. Ron Naylor, one of our uh, folks here at Resurrection, has been hospitalized for the past several weeks. The results of seizures in his brain that have made him unable to use parts of his body. And he got some encouraging news this week that it wasn't the brain cancer returning, but still he'll need a lot of rehab to get everything back working right. And his wife Julie texted this week and said, please keep everyone praying for him. And we will, won't we? That's part of our purpose. This church, we are a house of prayer. Number five, they sold property and possessions to to give to anyone who had need. That's part of the purpose of the church as well. We give to the Lord and others, not, not to buy God's favor, but to live out our purpose of generosity and sharing and helping. We're putting together UMCOR cleaning kits to, to help those who go through tragedies such as the hurricanes. It's just part of who we are. We care, we give. We share, we help. We do that to love God and to love our neighbors with glad and generous hearts. So learning, fellowshipping, eating together, praying and, and giving as fellow Christians, that's our purpose. And in doing that, we add to the number of those being saved. As Acts says, our purpose in doing all of that is to add to those who are being saved, or as, uh, as it says in our mission statement, to make disciples of Jesus Christ and transform the world. The church building helps us to do that, but the church itself is you and me, all of us together. So let me ask you, since you are the church, are we making our relationship with God one of trade? Or are we robbing God and others by the way we treat them? Does Jesus need to upset a few of the tables in our lives? Shock us to get our attention? Do we take our relationship with Christ for granted? You know, most of the times, Jesus is the very picture of calm, even on the cross. But some days he goes nuts. 
He does it to shake us out of our complacency, to get us thinking about how to be God's people, God's house, God's church. Because that's who you are. God's family is like a house, and you are part of the building. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for making us a part of, of your house, part of your church. Thank you for what you have, have given to us so that we can accomplish this. Whether we're studying the word, whether we are serving and helping others, whether we're, we're adding prayers or simply eating together, we are grateful for all of it. Lord, help us to keep our focus on that. We don't do any of it to try to buy your love because it's already there. It's a gift. And we thank you for the gift of life in Jesus Christ. Amen.